The Sermon on the Mount given by Jesus is recorded in Matthew 5 through 7. Jesus covers all kinds of things from how kingdom citizens should act to correct interpretation of the law, but it is easily one of the meatiest sections of scripture in Jesus' teachings. In the Sermon on the Mount, he tells kingdom citizens they are the salt of the earth. In this episode, we will consider how salt was used in the ancient world and how we can be the salt of the earth. Welcome to Where There Is Hope. Here we offer inspiration and encouragement from the Bible. With Travis Renfro, I'm John Lindsay. We're glad you're here. So the first thing I want to do is talk about how we use salt today. Um, might be a little strange, but I think the biggest one, maybe the most applicable one to what we see in uh, the Bible, is we eat with salt, right? Uh, I mean, I, do you salt your food? Okay. Yeah, I tend to be more of a salty snacker than mm-hmm. a sweet snacker. So yeah, you know, chips, popcorn. I'm a popcorn junkie. So yeah, I don't salt food at restaurants. Those people are maniacs. Like the yeah. chefs know <laughs> what they're doing. But no offense if you're one of those people. Yeah. Um, yeah some other things that I could think of that it was used for is uh, we salt roads um, whenever winter comes and that's because the salt lowers the melting temperature of the ice maybe you put salt in a boiling pot of water to make it boil faster because it lowers the uh, boiling point we use salt we have used salt in the past to deter ants Uh, i put that on there all these are kind of silly strange weird ways that we use salt but i don't think that's what he's talking about here when he says you're the salt of the earth when you said deterring he's... insects, I wondered if you had one of those salt guns where you no. shoot at flies. <laughs> no. I wondered where you were going with that. No, we, uh, we've used it. If, you, if you've got a <laughs> helpful tip on where there is hope, <laughs> <laughs> if you've got an ant problem, uh, find out where they're coming from and put some salt down, and they'll stop coming. They don't like going over salt. So hmm. just block it all off with a bunch of salt. Uh, but that's not... <laughs> That's not how you become the salt of the earth, is blocking a call in advance from entering your home. Um, anyway, so in the ancient world, there was all kinds of ways that they used salt. Um, and we see a lot of different references to salt in the Bible and different ways that it's used. And we're not even going to talk about all those. I'll mention them. But in general, we're going to look at three big ones. And the three big ones are this, it's sometimes seen as a symbol of life a symbol of death, and a symbol of discipleship. Um, We also see it in use with uh, some sacrifices. There's times where they're told to uh, put salt on the sacrifice. And we see it in some covenants as well where uh, they would make like a covenant and then if you were to eat salt, you were breaking the covenant. Um, But we're we're not going to really talk too much about those. So the first thing I want to look at is salt as a symbol of life and we're going to look at a few passages um, in a minute but here are some of the ways that it's used Uh, we see this specifically in the old testament of course you've probably heard this talked about before how it is used as a preservative Um, they would rub it on meat and um, in so doing it would preserve the meat longer it would give it life in a sense um, and and make the rot of the meat 
stay away longer, so it would prolong the life of the meat, hence giving it life. Still do that a little bit in modern times. Mm -hmm. If you ever had country ham, that's why it's so salty. It's cured mm -hmm. with, with salt. I think there are some fish, too, that's done that way. Mm -hmm. Yep, that's a good point. Um, it is also seen as a purifying agent. They, uh, it, in Ezekiel 16.4, this was interesting. Um, and I guess I should preface this. Um, I did a lot of study here with Lexham Bible Dictionary, and that's how I got a lot of this stuff. So I'll, I'll put a note in the show notes just um, to reference that and show where I got that. Ezekiel 16, verse 4 says, And as for your birth, on the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to cleanse you, nor rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling cloths. So here, the implication is that newborns were rubbed with salt. And all these things that weren't done were um, what would have normally been done. So uh, they would use it to purify a newborn. And we see another example we'll talk about in a little bit uh, for purification. Um, they also used it, of course, to season food just like we do today. Um, Job 6.6, 6, he talks of using salt to add taste. And uh, Matthew 5.13, Mark 9.50, Luke 14, verse 34 through 35 suggest that uh, salt has taste, uh, which means that they put it in their mouths, right? I mean, of course, that means they, they're eating it and they're looking for it to have some taste. Um, interesting. Um, you know, in uh, those passages, there's a reference to tasteless salt. Um, uh, one thing that I found was salt from the Red Sea was actually often found to lose its taste, and in which case they would just toss it out because it was not worth anything. Um, they would also buy salt from uh, different places and have it shipped in. Um, so it, there's a lot of stuff we could talk about with salt, but uh, it would be outside of our scope, I think. Um, so we can see some things there, you know, and um, you might be wondering why I put this in with a symbol for life. So purifying agent, um, you can see here it's a cleansing thing. Seasoning for food, you might be wondering why in the world is that under a symbol for life? Well, uh, to give someone food or uh, to share food with them as a maybe you season the food, you've given the food a, a better taste or you've given them food, you provided them with something that sustains life. So it was seen as that kind of thing at different times. So another thing, another thing that we see with regards to salt is it's seen sometimes as a symbol of death. Um, Travis, is there a toxic amount of salt that we can consume? I never thought about that question before, but I'm assuming that there is. Uh, it seems, I mean, I know there's definitely health implications for eating too much salt, yeah, yeah. and I'm sure there is a toxic level of how much you could consume at one time. Yeah, I, I guess I asked that and I don't really know, but I, I'm sure there is. Uh, we know that it's not good to eat a ton of salt. That's not good for our hearts. Um, it causes all kinds of problems with your body when you eat way too much salt. Um, but just like too much salt can lead to death, we see salt represent death in different situations in the Bible. Um, some interesting things that we see in Judges 9, 45, uh, 9, chapter 9, verse 45, it says, And Abimelech fought against the city all that day. He captured the city and killed the people who were in it, and he raised the city and sowed it with salt. 
The idea here is sowing with salt essentially made the whole land infertile. Um, it was a capstone on the destruction. They, uh, they would do that to uh, make sure that whoever tried to live there afterwards couldn't live there. Uh, we see a similar instance in Zephaniah 2.9. Um, so there we see that salt could basically be used to destroy. Mm-hmm. And this probably a little bit more familiar, it, at least it was more familiar to me, um, is the idea of salt when it's used in a destructive way. Um, certainly it's, you can talk about the other ones uh, as being a symbol of life, but this is more familiar. I think of those times, like you've referenced in Judges and other places, where it was almost like... Uh, Salt in the wound. Sorry mm-hmm. for that. Yeah, um, but, well, but I mean, exactly. That's exactly what it was, though. It was like yeah, it's just added punishment. Yeah, yeah, bleeding out. And oh, by the way, don't plan on uh, rebuilding because you can't. Yeah. So they'd have to change their whole infrastructure, how they lived, move, uh, do something. So another thing that we see with uh, relation to this salt bringing death is. Um, you think of the times you see it related to disobedience. Um, I think maybe the most, as soon as we talk about salt in the Old Testament, probably the first thing that comes to anybody's mind is Lot's wife. uh, When she disobeys the command to not turn back and look at the city, and she turns around and she instantly becomes a pillar of salt. There we see um, she disobeyed and was turned into a pillar of salt as a consequence. We also see, um, I I thought, a fitting verse from a psalm that has this idea as well. Psalm 107, verse 34 says, A fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. So there's the the idea is that because of the evil of the people in the land, the, the land has become a salty waste. So that implication that salt brings death to the land, um, I thought was interesting. And then um, we also see in Deuteronomy in chapter 29, there's a whole bunch to this, but we do see that um, the same idea that people who disobey will bring about a land that is burned out with brimstone and salt. So this idea of, uh, again, disobedience leading to this death of the land and judgment of the land. We also see, um, just to continue this theme of death, Uh, We see uh, James associates fresh water with blessing and salt water with curses in James chapter 3, verse 9. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So I've said all this to say, just to see the way that salt is used in the Bible. We see that it's used as a symbol of life. We see that it's often used as a symbol of death. And then we see it in the New Testament, where it's a symbol of discipleship. So really the the key text for this episode is Matthew 5.13. So we'll look at that now. It says... You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? 
It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So, Travis, what do you think this means? Base level. We better keep our salts in us, you know, whatever that means exactly. Um, You know, there's a couple angles that people take when they think about application of this for disciples. And it's either the preservative angle or the seasoning angle. Um, Those are the two most prevalent. I think you have something more to add to that. But that's what I think of initially is, you know, I I think as a seasoning agent, we ought to be able to bring something to the world as Christians that the world sorely lacks. And so we can add to, um, I don't want to say we can make life better, but really that's fairly accurate. We can make life better by being giving and merciful and gracious and, and not selfish. Um, and as a preservative, that's probably a little more obvious. We, as Christians, carry with us the words of life, uh, which the world, again, sorely needs. Well put. You made me think um, there are some foods out there that the moment you take a bite, you'll say, ugh, this needs salt. Mm-hmm. And you'll reach out and you grab the salt. And that's exactly what we're to do as Christians is make things better. Um, I, 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 I like that. As the res- resident chubby guy in this podcast, um, if you've ever gotten French fries that they forgot to salt at Wendy's or McDonald's They're or not something, that great. Yeah. They, they are real let down. They're real let down. And I've seen people who are like, uh, please, no salt. And I'm like, you are crazy. So those people need to be removed from yeah. society. They can't be trusted. Yeah. Probably have a health problem. A couple other scriptures that are mentioned that are pretty much parallel to that one. Uh, Mark 9, 50, and Luke 14, 34 through 35, they both say salt is good, but if the salt has lost its taste or its saltiness, how will you make it salty, salty again? And Mark 9 says, have salt in yourself and be at peace with one another. And Luke says, if, if it is of no use, either for the soil or for the manure pile, it is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So that same idea uh, that we're to keep our salt our saltiness and uh, as we talked about the salt from the Red Sea could actually lose it mm. and it was just tossed out and thrown away so um, I think that implies that we have to consistently work on ourselves mm-hmm. and consistently seek those opportunities to be uh, salty whatever that might mean and it happened to I'd have to think of when Jesus is asked what's the greatest commandment and he replies well to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. But the second is like it, to love others as yourself. Saltiness, uh, being salt of the earth, that's where I think that really, that's kind of the idea of what Jesus is referring to. We have a duty to our fellow man, um, Christians and non-Christians alike, to, to be servants, to be consistently be salt uh, for the world. Well put. Another thing that we see in reference to salt in the New Testament regarding discipleship is from Paul. In chapter 4, Colossians chapter 4, verse 5 and 6, it says, Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. I think here we have that idea that we talked about earlier of uh, seasoning our, our speech um, to try and help thing help make things better for other people. So mm-hmm. I think that's the idea here. It does not mean you need to be salty when you talk to no, people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
And I even I thought about titling this episode uh, "Let's Be Salty" or something like that. But I, <laughs> yeah. Um, so there's one one other thing that I want to talk about. We we talked about purifying earlier, and I do think that there's some merit to this. Let's turn. If you've got a Bible or you're able to follow along, turn to Second Kings, chapter two. And we're going to look at verse 19 through 22. So sometimes salt was used in terms of like a ritual cleansing where they would say, out with the old, in with the new. So here, verse 19, Now the men of the city said to Elisha, Behold, the situation of the city is pleasant as my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the land is unfruitful. He said, Bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him, and then he went to the spring of water and threw salt in it and said, Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From now on, neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it. So the water has been healed to this day according to the word that Elisha spoke. Here the salt brings death and provides a new life to the water. But salt alone did not cleanse the water. What else played a part in this? God had to act as well. Yeah. This is a, it's a really interesting passage that I don't think I've studied before, but when Elisha says, from now on neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it, what a, I don't know how, what the right word is here, what a horrible situation. This must have been and terrifying, and then God moves in something very simple, but but reverses it, mm-hmm. and it's all done through this symbol of salt. So if we take that and we see what this salt and what the Lord did here, it was something that was presented in a time of death and it brought life. Yeah, you know, I think about like how Paul has commanded Christians to speak with speech seasoned with salt. And I, th- I thought about Galatians 2.20 where he says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When we talk about Christians and our role in this, I believe that it's our role to help people see life like we talked about earlier, help bring the reality of death to them and help them see life. And uh, we're to do that. I I think there's more than one element to this. I think we're to do that graciously, um, tactfully, but I think that's our, our key goal is to bring that reality to people and put them at the point where they have to decide and let God help them in their lives. Yeah, one of, the, one of my favorite uh, quotes I use often from college was my teacher who said, the only message that counts is the one that's received. And given such an important task as we are to, to bring, like you said, the reality of death, but then also the message of life and hope, it's important that we we present it in a way that someone can receive it, uh, and that's what you know you're referring to there with having your your speech seasoned with salt, being gracious. Um, we could rightly 
come with a heavy hand, convicting the world of all their sin, telling people how wrong they are and what inevitably awaits them if they don't repent. Um, all those things are true. And they're true for us just as they are for them, by the way. But what's most important is we want to communicate the hope of the gospel of Christ. And so we have to be, we have to be tactful. We have to be gracious. We have to be kind in how we present it so that they'll hear it. That's the most important thing is that they hear it. Amen. So practically speaking, what are some things that we can do to get better at talking to others about Christ and presenting this message? Um, so I said my thoughts here. Feel free to add to this. Identify why you aren't comfortable doing it right now. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe you're doing great at this. I hope you're doing great at this. Uh, maybe you're not. Identify why you're struggling. Maybe it's your faith. You've got some doubts that you don't, you know, you don't want to address, and you're afraid someone might ask you a question, and uh, you wouldn't know what to do. They would ask you that one question that you don't have the answer for. Uh, well, for one, be comfortable saying I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but two, study it. Don't just brush it away. Study it and uh, talk to others about it. Try and try and uh, get a good basis. So then when someone asks you that, you can say, well, I don't know, but I've spent a lot of time studying this. Um, maybe you have trouble in uh, your confidence in speech. Practice with a friend. Talk to a friend. That's not a good reason to be uncomfortable talking to others about Christ. Yeah. Um, and maybe it's just a fear of being disliked. You don't want people to not like you. You don't want to make things uncomfortable. Uh, well, the, the sad news for you is uh, that's what Jesus tells us is going to happen. So that's that's just a cost mm -hmm. of discipleship. And as we just talked about, you can do such things tactfully. Um, we're not saying to go through and just bash people. But um, don't, don't make Scripture nicer than it is <laughs> or yes. more accepting <laughs> than it is, if yeah, I can that, say it that way. That's a good point. I you know, first I'd say be realistic here. You know, as far as people are always worried they're going to get stumped with a hard question, and you might, it's possible, but you're not a theologian. They don't expect you to be a theologian, and they're not either. So that's not real likely. It could happen. Um, as you mentioned, you know, confidence, your speech, you said practice. I like the saying, practice doesn't make perfect, but it makes progress. Um, just have more spiritual conversations. You'll, you'll find that it gets easier and easier. And yeah, some people are going to dislike you. Some people are going to push back because they don't want to be confronted with sin or reality or anything. But most people, if you communicate to them that you care about them and you're interested in their well-being, especially their eternal well-being, they're probably not going to dislike you. It may be uncomfortable, but it's not going to be contentious more than likely. So I, I like the quote, and I don't remember who said it, uh, but the quote is, some of the worst things in my life never happened. It's just that we let our minds run away from us and think, oh, this is going to be horrible. It's probably not. It's probably going to be just fine. I like that. That's funny. So I think maybe the most important thing to do, pray for opportunities, look for opportunities, take the opportunities, and recognize the ones that you passed up. Let's consider how we can be salt of the earth as Jesus tells us to be. 
Thank you for joining us where there is hope. It is our goal to share the hope and joy that we find in scriptures with you. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave us a review. You can email us at wtihope at gmail.com. Lamentations 3, 24. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him.